Thank you for tuning in to the Voice of the Victim podcast. We discuss a lot of sad and potentially triggering things on this show. We try to be as sensitive and cautious as possible, but if you are sensitive to things involving abuse and may be triggered, please think twice before listening to our show. Welcome to the Voice of the Victim podcast. My name's Ryan. And I'm Rosie. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. It's currently 97 degrees, so one of us is happier than the other. Yeah, but thankfully, Grandma let us turn the AC up today. So <laughs> I love this weather. Silver lining. I went on a walk with Grandma, and then we sat on the patio in our chairs. It was quite lovely. Quite lovely after work activity. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad... You had a nice uh, early release today. Yes, thank you. And got some time to be outside Mm -hmm. without being responsible for children. Okay, well, before we begin, we want to thank our new patrons. Uh, Donna, thank you. Woohoo! Haley, thank you. Thank you. And Audie, thank you. Audie? You don't think it's Odie? Odie? Oh, I don't know. Oh, darn. Odie. There's two... D's, so... Yeah, maybe you're right. I thought it was Odie, but maybe you're right. Maybe it's Odie. Whoops. Well, let us know if you hear this, and we'll correct it next week. Yeah. <laughs> um, along with that, we have a new winner for our monthly Patreon t-shirt drawing, <gasps> but they haven't replied yet, <sighs> and I sent them an email, and then I got an email back saying that the email was not valid. What? Yeah, so... Uh-oh. I'm kind of concerned about that. Patrons, Hopefully, check your your patron messages. Yeah. Because if we're not going to get a response, we probably won't send it out. Like, we want to make sure that this person's real. I know. Because I even posted to Instagram the actual yeah. spinning of the wheel. I saw that. And I'll just tell you, the Patreon, patron name mm-hmm. starts with an S. So check your oh. patron messages if your first name starts with an S. That is a good clue. Hopefully you'll hear this and get back to us. So with that said, shall we share a review quick? Mm-hmm. Uh, I put this on our Instagram because I just like really liked everything about it. You did? Yeah, I put it on our story. Wow. Sometimes it just slips right past me. I don't even notice. Well. Because... You know, since we're both logged in, neither of us get notifications for it. <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't know, I really like this one. So I'll read it. Cool. It's entitled, I like them. <laughs> I think that's partially why I like it so much. <laughs> it says, they obviously love each other, which is cute. They seem like nice people and try hard to be sensitive and compassionate. Sometimes they feel painfully young. Thank you. <laughs> but it's kind of cool to listen to them learn, grow in their craft, and figure out their own feelings on some topic topics. I enjoy their calm demeanors, and it feels like hanging out with friends. I like them. Highly recommended. <laughs> I love it. I do, too. It's so chill. And it happens to be from one of our new patrons, mm-hmm. which 
we're not sure on the pronunciation, Adi Gumption or Odie Gumption, you'll have to let us know. But thank you. From the U.S. of A., and that was from today. Five stars, even. It was like, I just don't know why, but this one was like, thanks. (laughs) Like, it just was so chill. I like them. Well, and it's so honest. (sighs) So anyway. I love it when people appreciate, like, our flaws and our human approach, you know? Mm-hmm. I've learned as we've been making this podcast that there's nothing wrong with not knowing what you're talking about all the time, as long as you are aware of that, and if you're determined and willing to continue to learn and grow. Right. So that's pretty cool. So thank you guys. Sorry, if, Zucchini. I wonder if our listeners can hear him meow. I'm sure they can. I can hear him He's in my headphones. He's just like walking around, like roaring. Flippity doo Don King yelling for his peasants. <laughs> he <laughs> yeah. must have won the dominance fight today. <laughs> well, let's save the cat talk for the end. Yeah, sorry. Um, tonight's story was very intriguing. It's kind of a mystery, which reminds me, we put out our 13th premium Patreon episode on Monday, mm-hmm. which is also based on a mystery style story involving the famous Romanov family. Mm-hmm who are the last royal family of Russia. And we actually tried something different where I read the outline that I wrote instead of Rosie reading it. She just reacted to it as we went. So if you ever want to hear me tell the story, which I don't know why you would, but it's there. <laughs> it was Aww. definitely, I have more respect for what you do now. Oh. Reading the story in a, with the red expression and, you know. It's really hard, especially you when you fail at talking normally (laughs) you do a good job of it you've gotten so much better over time thank you because usually i can't say anything without tripping over myself i know i noticed that while i was reading that i was constantly stumbling over my words it's very hard for some reason and i didn't have myself to direct what i was doing you know (laughs) so that's probably yeah and when i did it you got a little touchy well you were asking me questions I didn't know the answers to, and then I got really insecure about how dumb I am about history, and then I got upset. But, you know, but something I'm working on. We're so in love. I've always, you know, I've always been like, I always think everyone else knows something I don't know, so I'm kind of insecure when I don't know the answer to a question, which is something I'm working on because I know it's completely stupid. But, yeah, sorry about that. All right, let's cut the chitter-chatter. Yeah, man, this is a long intro. Anyway, that's on Patreon now, if you're interested. This episode of Voice of the Victim podcast is supported by PetFlow. And you guys know that we love our three cats, and an essential part of our home is cat litter and cat food. But like everyone, we have a lot of other stuff to get done, so pretty much every time we buy cat food... It's been a last-minute emergency where we're both (laughs) home at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. and we realize the cats have no food. Mm -hmm. So we make an unexpected trip to a store, and I begrudgingly (laughs) drag myself to the pet section to get what we need. Mm -hmm. But there's an easy way to solve that problem. Rosie, do you want to tell them about it? Yeah. A simple solution is to have it delivered to our house on a regular auto-ship schedule, so we can take care of our fur babies without even needing to think about it. PetFlow is a great service which can help with that. PetFlow carries nearly 300 pet brands, which you can conveniently order online and set up an auto ship on a schedule that you choose. This gives you many premium quality options to choose from. 
so you can be sure that you're doing what you can to care for the wellness of your pet. But our favorite part is that they also give back to the community through their Good Deeds program. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. For every box shipped, PetFlow donates food to a shelter in need. So while you take care of your pets, you can help care for others who need it. Every month, PetFlow donates thousands of pounds of food to shelters, which not only feed the animals in the shelter, but also serve as a pet food bank for families in need. So during these difficult times where a lot of people are losing their jobs, there's a lot of pets at risk of being surrendered to shelters because there's owners just simply can't care for them. But these donations help pets to stay in their loving homes by helping their parents feed them. This also helps the shelters to focus more time and resources on rehabilitation, enrichment, and veterinary care. We love that PetFlow gives us the ability to help out other animals while buying the things that we need to take care of our own. And they're offering our listeners a special 16% discount on your first order with the code VOICE16. Yeah, so visit PetFlow.com and enter code VOICE16 at checkout to let them know that we sent you and get our special 16% off. So tonight's story begins on September 2nd, 1999 in Jericho, Jericho New York. Mm -hmm. A man named Ronald Cohen was in the middle of moving out of his home at 67 Forest Drive and getting it ready for new buyers. One of his big projects was getting the basement cleaned out, which was no easy task as the previous owner had left behind some items. Among those was a steel 55-gallon drum, which was absurdly heavy. It was one of those things that Ronald never really cared about before because it was out of sight, out of mind. Mm -hmm. But the new homeowners, the Tafagodi family, were paying 455 between four hundred thirty and four hundred fifty-five thousand dollars for this new property, I saw varying numbers, but one of their stipulations <laughs> was to get this drum out of there. It was in a crawl space under the That's in the weird. basement. I do understand though. Like when we moved into our first place, like they left some random junk, and I'm like, well, yeah, I guess I'm just gonna ignore that for the rest of my life. Pretty much. At first, he struggled to get it to budge because it was so heavy. But eventually, he laid the drum on its side and rolled it out. And that's the way to do it. It's a helpful tip if you're trying to move a heavy round object by yourself. I used to do that when I had to mow the lawn and move that round patio table. Remember? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It works pretty well. It does work very well. Again, we're really sorry about Zucchini. He's really enacting his dominance right now. Just, Just yelling at those two. Anyway... Okay. We're sorry for these derailments. We'll try to stay more focused. Ronald was able to get the drum out of his basement, slowly but surely. Then he put it with the rest of his trash on the street. He hoped that this was the last time he need to deal with this drum. But unfortunately, when he went out to the curb after a trash pickup, he found a note on the drum which said, We can't take it because it might be toxic or noxious. 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 You are responsible for opening it. Your youth is showing. (laughs) Oh, sorry. (laughs) So now he was in a pickle because he's already gone to all the trouble to get this thing out of the basement. And it doesn't make sense to bring it back down, but it's too heavy to load in his car. And not even the trash collection pros can take it. Um, By the way, this thing reportedly weighed 
345 pounds. Oh my gosh. So. I, you just know something bad's going to be in the barrel. Yeah. I don't understand how we could not. <sighs> okay. Well, I mean, they figured it was probably full of a chemical or something. True. Yeah. That's what normally is in that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So the only option Ronald had was to empty the drum as much as he could and try to make it lighter. He went inside his house and grabbed a flathead screwdriver and then started working the lid off the drum. But when he finally got the lid off, he was hit by a wall of a terrible stench. He could barely get near the drum without gagging. But now his curiosity was piqued and he had to know what this drum sitting in his basement for all these years was sealing inside. Now the first thing that he saw was that it was filled with plastic pellets. But it couldn't have been just that inside, because you wouldn't think it'd be that heavy or smell that terrible if it's just plastic pellets. Oh my gosh. So as he continued to peel back the lid, he was shocked and horrified by what he saw. Sticking out of the plastic pellets was what looked like a mummified, withered hand. So... That's terrifying. Whoa. Can you imagine finding out that this was in the basement of your house for all these years? But it got even worse. Uh, also, this is just insane. Visible from the top of the drum was a lady's shoe. So, Ronald realized at this point that he had a lot more on his hands than some hazardous chemicals. And this is when he decided to call emergency services it didn't take long for police to arrive, and they got the drum transported to the Nassau County Coroner's Office to be analyzed for forensic by forensic experts. So, lucky for Ronald, at least the barrel was out of his driveway now. <laughs> I guess. And it solved his problem. Um, the police had no problem getting someone to pick it up. But please don't try this if you need some free recycling. <laughs> but anyway, this next part gets pretty disturbing. Just to warn you, so it's you now we've been a little lighthearted, but now well, it's just like it's about to get really serious. I, it's just pretty weird that this guy had a dead body in a barrel drum in his basement. Like it's just a bizarro story. Yeah. Coroners soon found that inside the drum was an intact mummified body of a woman. She had dark hair and was relatively young. They determined her cause of death was blunt forced trauma so it was the body of a woman and whoever it was obviously had a horrifying experience in her final moments mm -hmm. because it was blunt force trauma and mm -hmm. you don't end up in a barrel if you die naturally right the woman was between four foot nine and four foot ten inches she also had some unusual dental work which wasn't consistent with the typical united states practices they thought it was more likely that she had gotten her dental work done in Latin America, which was also consistent with her appearance. So naturally, the question is, who is this woman and what happened to her? Questions that would unfortunately take a lot of work to answer. She was wearing a button-down sweater with a skirt and high socks, along with mid-heeled shoes. The clothes appeared to be from the 1960s, which gave them a small clue to start forming a timeline. She had a wedding band on her left finger inscribed with the initials MHR X 
1159. It's uh, XII, like the Roman numerals for 12. I kind of figured that, but I couldn't remember. It was yeah. I or 1. Um, so possibly what I'm guessing from that is that she had gotten married in December of 1959. Mm-hmm. She had another ring on her hand, which mounted a green stone, as well as a locket around her neck inscribed with the words, To Patrice, love Uncle Phil. So, could this be a woman named Patrice? But then what does MHR stand for? So, so far it's confusing. An x-ray was done on the body, and they made another sad discovery. At the time the woman died, she was pregnant. Not only that, but she was close to nine months in. So this baby was fully formed and nearly ready to be born. So... This starts to paint a more complicated picture of what happened. This woman was apparently murdered just before giving birth sometime in the 60s. And the first thing that comes to my mind is that the father didn't want this baby to be born. Oh, interesting. You know? Interesting thoughts. Because she's obviously murdered and she's just about to give birth. I don't have any idea yet. Besides the body, there was a green fluid in the bottom of the drum along with a pocketbook, a makeup kit, an address book, a wallet, and an imitation leopard skin coat. That's good to know that it was an imitation leopard skin coat. I do appreciate that detail. They also recovered a plastic stem with five leaves on it. So there's a pretty decent amount of evidence buried along with this mystery woman inside the drum. But sadly, it provided very little solid answers for who she was or even what happened to her. I'm surprised there wasn't like an ID in the the wallet. But maybe it like disintegrated. Yeah, it was sitting in that green fluid for a oh, while. Oh, sure. So it's useless. Also, it seems interesting that there's a plastic stem, almost like there was a memorial. Mm-hmm. Like was, it's just very interesting. Hmm. You know what I mean? That's an interesting thought. Like, yeah. Don't you think? I don't know. Now I've got all these ideas. Yeah. Well, it'll all be answered in the end. A detective named Brian Parpin was assigned to find these answers, and he was very passionate about discovering the woman's identity. Brian and his team felt that the address book was a good place to start, as it was most likely to hold the answers to their questions. But unfortunately, the book had been soaked in the green fluid for decades, and the pages were illegible. They tried to remove the moisture by placing the address book in a drying cabinet. And this actually worked. What? Yeah. Over um, the course of a few days, the address book slowly began to reveal the numbers and addresses that it had been hiding that all these years. It really surprises me, actually. I did not I think that was going to work. Well, you know, it's not going to go back to normal, but like the imprints of well, yeah. the writing eventually will kind of That's cool. come out. But unfortunately, as it was clearly a few decades later... Most of these phone numbers and addresses weren't current anymore, so Mm -hmm. it was like trying to find a needle in a haystack. They were unable to get in contact with anyone listed in this address book, which made their job a lot harder. Now they had to start digging into the history of the home where the drum was found, as well as the origins of the drum itself. Forensic professionals were able to find that the drum was manufactured in 1965, They also had the green liquid analyzed by a chemical company who concluded that it was a halogen dye. Halogen. Is that that right? 
which was most commonly used to color plastic flowers and trees. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Huh. The drum was specifically made to transport and store this dye. They also found that the plastic pellets inside the drum were used in the production of plastic plants. Okay, well now we're making a connection with yeah. the stem. I was seeing the connection here. If you don't remember, there was that stem in the barrel with the five leaves on it. And it appeared to be from a flower stem and like the flower head had fallen off. Um, yeah, interesting little d discovery huh. there. The chemical analysts were also able to conclude that this particular type of dye was no longer made after 1971. So now they have a much more solid timeline. Whatever happened here had to have taken place between 1965 and mm -hmm. 1971, which really narrows it down compared to what they were working with before, where it was just like, maybe 1960s, who knows? So nice work by those analysts. Yeah, to me, they found a lot out of nothing. Yeah, no kidding. Another helpful clue was the specific marking on the drum, indicating that it had been shipped to a New York-based company called Melrose Plastics. Which, you guessed it, made synthetic flowers. So this was a huge breakthrough and could hopefully provide more clues. But this company was out of business... So at first it appeared to be a roadblock until they found an interesting parallel between Melrose Plastics and the home where the drum was discovered. And we mentioned that the murder had to have taken place between 1965 and 1971. And when going through the records of the home ownership, the owner of the house during that time was a man named Howard B. Elkins who had moved into the home in 1957, and he lived there until 1971. So that's mm. the time period. But here's the kicker. Howard B. Elkins also happened to be a part owner of that since-closed company, Melrose Plastics. Okay. So now there's some serious dots starting to connect. So now, yeah, we're like, we're filling in the puzzle here. Yeah, but despite all these things... If he was responsible for this crime, would he really be dumb enough to leave all the evidence behind in a house where other people were moving in? Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good answer. But it kind of leaves room open for a theory that maybe he let a friend borrow the barrel and then stored it for him, having no idea what was inside it and didn't feel like moving it when he moved out. You know, because who would be stupid enough to leave evidence of a murder? behind in a house where they're on record owning. Maybe. But let's keep going. Police started finding the records of all the homes nearby the house, and then they would get in contact with the people who were Howard's neighbors at the time. But none of them recalled a Latin woman ever being around. Fortunately, the story was published in both the New York Times and the New York Post on September 5th, 1999, three days after the discovery. That's amazing, actually. I know. After the discovery, which shared that the woman was either white or Hispanic, and also that Howard B. Elkins was the one was one of the previous owners of the home where the body was found. So, like you said, it's pretty amazing because the investigators were obviously working very fast to have all this evidence within three days, and they were able to put it together, and now they were just waiting on that final puzzle piece 
mm-hmm. that could hopefully tell them who this woman was. After the story of the woman in the drum was published, the police received an anonymous call from a woman who said that in the 1960s, Howard B. Elkins had been very close to a Latin woman who worked in his factory. There we go. Mm-hmm. After this, Detective Parpin was very suspicious of Howard and his involvement in this murder. They looked him up and found that he had moved to Boca Raton, Florida in 1972 after selling the home at 67 Forest Drive. So, Detective Parpin and his partner flew down to Florida and visited the now 70-year-old Howard at his home. They asked him if he recalled having an affair with a Latin woman in the 1960s. Can you imagine that coming up so many years later? No, that... It's like the Golden State Killer. Like, they thought they got away with it. Yeah. But, I mean, let's wait for the story to unfold. Sorry about that. It's okay. He himself confirmed that, yes, he did have an affair. But he couldn't remember her name or even what she looked like. After this, they asked him for a DNA sample so they could rule him out as the father of the unborn child and clear him as a suspect. So that sounds pretty reasonable. They're just, like, like so upfront. Mm-hmm. But Howard wasn't too willing to cooperate with them here, and he refused the DNA sample, which obviously made him seem even more suspicious than before. So Parpan was annoyed but even more determined to get this guy. So Mm -hmm. he told them that they'd be back soon with a court order for a DNA sample. Boom. Roasted. (laughs) But the next day, a shocking discovery was made in the garage of one of Howard's friends. Howard had taken his own life with a shotgun he'd purchased just after speaking with the detectives. So it was him. Yeah, so... Obviously, that's pretty damning. Wow. It doesn't seem like he thought he was going to be cleared if he got his DNA tested. That is um, another turn that I was not aware was going to happen. I know. Isn't this a fascinating story? It is. And the DNA was tested. The results came back with a 99.93% match to the unborn child, proving pretty substantially that he was having a relationship with this woman. And that he didn't want his wife to find out about it. Wow. Yeah. So he was willing to take away her life and the life of her child, which was also his own child, Mm -hmm. to hide this affair. Not only that, he was willing to take his own life to avoid the consequences. Man. Which, man, he really didn't want this to get out. Yeah. But... I mean, consequently, he became famous for it. So, kind of weird. Despite the fact that they knew who had killed this woman, and most likely why he'd done it, they still didn't know who the woman was. So, they continued to try calling the numbers in the woman's address book, hoping that one of them would be able to help. And finally, someone answered their call. This was the needle in the haystack. Wow. Her name was Kathy... Andrade. Fortunately, she was still living at the same home with the same phone number, and she was the missing puzzle piece that they needed to identify this mystery woman. They told Kathy that they'd found her number in an address book, along with the body of a woman. After hearing the description, Kathy realized that they had found her friend, who had disappeared so many years ago, 
1969. Her friend's name was Reina Angelica Marroquin. So, now we have an identity. Now let's talk about who Reina was. Reina was born in El Salvador in 1941. As she was growing up there, the country was facing a lot of instability in both the government and the economy. This led to many people leaving the country to find a place with a more stable economy and better financial opportunity. But Reina was actually very content in El Salvador. She had a close relationship with her mother and wanted to stay close to her, and she planned on settling down there for good and getting married. So I'm guessing, based on her rings, uh, she got married in 1959, which would make her 18 years old at the time. So that all lines up. But the initials on the ring are interesting still. M-H-R. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing maybe the R is for Reina, but otherwise... It could just be her husband's name. Or maybe it was M was the last name, and then his name started with H. Maybe. I don't know. Marking. Because I'm not sure if Marking was her married name or her uh, maiden name. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I don't know. It's I'm just curious because it's fascinating trying to put this together. Sadly, in 1966, after seven years of marriage, Rena had her heart broken when she discovered that her husband had been cheating on her and he had gotten the mistress pregnant. This is especially sad, knowing that she still wore this ring. Yeah. Even after they split up, like, she kind of wasn't over him, it seems like. Because she was literally blindsided by this news that her husband had a mistress and had gotten her pregnant. Um, And I don't know if he left her to go be with his mistress or if she left him because he cheated. But either way, it says a lot that she still wore that wedding band. Mm Mm-hmm. It definitely does. After splitting from her husband, Reina decided that she needed a fresh start. She decided to move to the United States. She flew to New York City and soon got a job working as a nanny. But this job didn't pan out for her very long, and eventually she found herself in New York jobless. Not a good place to be jobless. She moved into a home for single women named after Joan of Arc and started attending fashion school and English classes to prepare for a future career in New York. That's really cool that she, like, fashion school? Yeah. That's super neat. Her English teacher was another young woman from El Salvador. Her name was Kathy Andrade. Who, as we just talked about, she was the person who was able to identify Reina in 1999. But at this point, um, back in 19, between 1966 and 1969, they had become pretty good friends. Hmm. Kathy was able to help Raina find another job, which happened to be at the Melrose Plastics Factory, where she made synthetic flowers. At the time, life was looking up for Raina, having a fresh new start in the country and now having a steady job. But we now know how tragically this new job would affect her life. Soon after starting her job at Melrose Plastics, her boss, Howard B. Elkins, started coming on to her. And they had a romantic relationship, despite him already being married. Yeah, so I don't know exactly how it began, but Raina was in such a vulnerable position here, having just had her life turned upside down by her husband of seven years, 
and then struggling to find a job after moving to a new country and having really no one to fall back on. So if he was coming on to her, she would have felt extremely intimidated and kind of indebted to him as her boss. You know, even though he was married, he had this power over her being her boss. And, you know, we always talk about this power imbalance and abuse of power. So seeing how this whole story eventually plays out, I don't have a problem theorizing that he was abusing his power as his boss, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe intimidating her into sleeping with him. Well, despite all this, though, Raina seemed to be very happy and content with Howard. I mean, it would have been exciting to have the big boss man interested in you, I would guess. And maybe she was able to justify it in her mind, knowing that someone had done the same thing with her husband. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, but I don't want to, you know, paint her character out for her, because these are all questions we don't know the answers to. Raina told Kathy that her boyfriend would see her at any chance he got, taking her to dinner or the movies and making her feel special. He would even take her for long walks in the park. And every girl likes long walks in the park, right, Ryan? Well, you do. <laughs> but Raina never told Kathy the name of her boyfriend or let her meet him, so she had no idea that it was Howard. Raina told Kathy that she could meet him after he left his wife and married her. Oof. Yeah, and apparently Raina was convinced that he was going to leave his wife and start a new life with her. And, I mean, why wouldn't she feel this way? Her husband did it to her, and Raina apparently told Kathy that he had promised her that he was going to do it eventually. Which, mm-hmm. oof. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a stressful pickle that I'd never want to be in. <laughs> yeah. But the pregnancy was unexpected. She hoped that this would be the catalyst that led them to move in together and get married, but instead, her expectations were disappointed when he got her an apartment, but refused to move in with her. Yeah, she was kind of hoping that he'd get them a house together, but he was just like, no, you can stay here now. Mm -hmm. Just keep it quiet. As the pregnancy went on, Rena became more and more disappointed with the arrangement wishing that he would either be with her or come clean and take responsibility. Yeah, and what a frustrating position to be in when you're, like, ready to give your life to this guy and you're carrying his child, but he's just making you wait and he's with another woman. Like, you gotta... If you're gonna get yourself into the situation, you gotta eventually be, like, choose one way or the other. Stop leading someone on. Ugh, I feel bad for her. Like, talk about dangling a carrot. I mean, Mm -hmm. she's obviously invested her whole life in him and is, like, ready to settle down. Yeah, and this went on for a long time. Sometime into her eighth month of pregnancy, when she was getting close to birth, she finally decided that she needed to do something to press the issue. So, she called the Elkins family home. Howard's wife picked up the phone, and Raina told her that she was pregnant with Howard's child. That's a bold move. Hey, can you imagine getting that phone call out of the blue? No. Naturally, his wife confronted him about the call, and Howard was enraged. At this point, he actually called Raina in a rage and told her that he was going to kill her. Well, that's... Not wise. Which also sounds like a really stupid move if you actually want to kill someone. Mm-hmm. But 
Apparently this guy's not that bright. Just after this, Raina was in shock and called Kathy for comfort. She told Kathy that she'd done something very stupid, but wouldn't tell her what it was before ending the call. Kathy was very concerned after speaking to Raina and went over to her apartment to make sure she was okay. But when she got there, Raina was nowhere to be found. And again, she doesn't know who Raina's boyfriend actually is, so she doesn't know where to look. Mm -hmm. Kathy waited for a while, but Raina never showed up. Something was very off about the situation, and Kathy was worried about the safety of her friend. She called the police and reported her friend missing, but didn't get the response that she was hoping for. When the police learned that she was an immigrant from El Salvador, they dismissed her disappearance, saying that she probably had just gone back to her home country. How sad is that? When someone goes missing in the United States, they were immediately profiled and dismissed because of their background? Wow. But again, this was 1969, literally the year after the civil rights movement ended. So, you know, as we talked about the last two weeks, there are always those bad apples. And I'm sure it was even worse back then. Yeah. Weeks went by after Kathy tried to report Raina missing, and she didn't hear back. Kathy would never hear from or about her friend again, until she got that call from detectives in 1999. Yeah, so literally 30 years later. Wow. Detective Parpan had a theory of what happened the night Raina's life was taken from her, which is sadly the closest thing we'll ever get to the truth. Mm -hmm. So we're going to share his theory. He theorized that on that night in 1969, Howard called Raina and asked her to meet him in the factory, either for a regular late-night rendezvous or to discuss their relationship. But after Raina arrived, the conversation got heated because Raina wanted to come clean and tell his wife about them, and he didn't want that. So, in a fit of anger, he attacked Raina and killed her. So, it could have been accidental in an act of passion or intentional. We don't know either way, but the bottom line is she was dead. After this, he loaded her into his car and brought her into his house, where he had an old chemical drum in the basement. He put her inside, along with her personal items that she had on her, and then covered her with plastic pellets and sealed the drum. So This is so sad and unnecessary. Like, how is this... A better alternative to just telling your wife what happened. Mm -hmm. What a disrespectful and evil thing to do, too, to the woman that he'd already used for her body, pretending to be in love with her, and then when he got her pregnant, a natural consequence of what they were doing, he had no intention of taking responsibility for the child. Hmm. Like, what a scumbag. Well, Howard owned a boat which led to the theory that his original intention was to load the barrel onto his boat and then drop it in the water to dispose of it. But when he realized how heavy it was, he abandoned that plan and just left it in the crawl, spa crawl space of his basement. Apparently, he hadn't figured out the rolling method yet. Um, but either way, this guy is kind of stupid because he left the barrel there even after he moved out. Can you imagine, though, like every time you walk in the basement... I mean, how could he not think about yeah, that? Yeah, you know that you have your biggest secret in the world. I just like here? can't imagine living your life knowing 
that the person you murdered is in the basement. Like, mm-hmm. how, he must have lived a tortured life. I can't imagine how you wouldn't. Yeah. And also we should say, remind people, everything we just went through is the theory of Detective Parpan. But I kind of, I don't know if I agree completely with this theory, because why would Random meet him at the factory by herself after he said he was going to kill her? Well, maybe he I kinda think, called her again. It was like, baby, I love you. I wouldn't, you know. Maybe, or else maybe he showed up to her apartment and kidnapped her. Yeah. Or maybe he killed her at her apartment. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but I guess he had to be out pretty quick because her friend came over pretty soon after the phone call. So I don't know. But again... This is all theories, and we don't know for sure how it all went down. Exactly. What we do know is it's horrible what happened to her. Um, And one of the saddest parts of her story, besides that she was pregnant and betrayed by her quote-unquote lover, is that when she disappeared, her mother stopped receiving letters from her and had absolutely no idea why or what happened, and it broke her heart. Mm, That's terrible. A Newsday reporter named Oscar Coral actually found Raina's mother and flew down to El Salvador. There in the town of San Martin, Raina's 95-year-old mother told him that it broke her heart when her daughter's letters had stopped coming in 1969. She had all kinds of nightmares about where her daughter could be, and one of them was actually that Raina was trapped in a barrel. Wow. Mm-hmm. Shortly after this, Reina's body was flown to El Salvador, where she was laid to rest by her family. Only a few months later, her mother died. Ugh. So it's hard to say if it was the stress and anguish of knowing how traumatically her daughter died. or Relief. It, yeah, the peace of knowing the truth and being able to lay her to rest. Or maybe a combination of the two. I have no idea, but she was buried right next to her daughter. Hmm. So. That's bittersweet. Yeah, it's such a wild story. Um, But I thought it was pretty fascinating the way it all played out. And it's always a little more intriguing when there's some mystery involved. Mm Mm-hmm, definitely. Speaking of which, the Patreon episode we put out this week also had a bit of mystery and intrigue. It's based around the the last Russian czars, the Romanov family, like we mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an interesting mystery that was lasted a long time, several decades, and it was finally solved not too long ago. So go check that out. It's our 13th premium Patreon episode. Um, and there's also a lot of random stuff we've put up over there, so lots of stuff to listen to. Mm-hmm. And more coming. Yeah, and hopefully the quality continues to improve over time. <laughs> but that was a wild story. Yeah, what do you think? I really enjoyed it. Like I was completely captivated by the drum in the beginning. Like I I just put myself in his shoes and he's like, Ugh, "I got to get this dumb barrel drum out of here and it's yeah. been in my life forever and I like don't know what it is. What's so heavy? What an inconvenience." It's and like then the you, organ situation. Yeah. You peel it open and there's a hand sticking out. Like, Ugh. it would just be so bizarre and scary. And then you'd think, like, my whole t- 
time living in this house, like there, this was here. I don't know. It'd just be so strange. Can you imagine the conversations he had with people? No, with his friends that night. Like, I, oh my gosh! I imagine that what he had going on? many drunken conversations and told many people. It's like the conversation we had last night about what you saw on your way home <laughs> from mm-hmm. work, but. We talked about that in our Patreon episode, so... True, very true. <laughs> that was also very interesting. But, um... Yeah. Do you have anything else to say about it? No, I, I mean, it's all right there. It was a good one. You did a good job. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, if this is your first time here, you can follow us on Instagram, at VOV Podcast. Um, we're also on Twitter and Facebook... Voice of the Victim Podcast and email us at voice or vovpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, again, thank you all so much for listening and for the emails we've gotten. I spent some time today replying to emails. Hopefully, if you've emailed us, we've gotten back to you. If you have emailed us and we haven't gotten back to us, back to you, <laughs> see, I can't talk. Um, please let us know if we haven't gotten back to you. Feel free to send us a follow-up email like, hey, did you get a chance to read this or whatever? Trust me, we won't get offended mm-hmm. um, if we just need a reminder to read something. So definitely do that. Uh, I think that's about it. I think so, too. Oh, I do want to say thank you to Mallory for the sweet comment on Instagram. Oh, yeah, that was nice. I didn't even know she listened. <laughs> Mallory's my niece. And I really appreciate her comment. So, yeah, shout out to Mallory. And Quesadilla. Yeah, Queso's here if you can hear him rumbling in the background. <laughs> I can hear him in the headphones. Can so. you? Does he sound cute? He sounds regal. Yeah, well, that makes sense. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.